Hey, nonprofit lowdown fans. Great news. I've just opened up my fundraising accelerator for the main June session. This accelerator is aimed at executive directors or senior level development directors of budgets under 2 million who want to establish a major donor giving program and need support and guidance to get started. I think major donors are the way to go in 2021, so learn strategies and tactics to take your fundraising to the next level. This program is a combination of great content, intensive coaching, and peer learning. And we also have a ton of fun. I'm capping the cohort at 30 people on a rolling basis, so apply today at riawong.com. Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Ria Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Ria Wong with you once again, which must mean this is Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, we are talking with my friend and guest, Benjamin Ryan Nathan, who is the founder of All of Us Films, which is a production company here in New York City that works with social good organizations. But today, we are talking about virtual galas because... Listen, y'all, we're in a pandemic and we've got to make a quick pivot. So we're talking all about that today. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Rhea. It's so great to be here and be here with everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. You have got some juicy information that we need. So before we jump into it, tell us a little bit about All of Us Films. Thank you. So I started All of Us Films in 2012. We really focus on working with organizations, nonprofits, NGOs, and for-profit companies that have a social good mission and that are working on social good campaigns. We believe that film and video has the power to transform people's views, to transform the way people see the world, and therefore to transform the world. And so that's what we do. That's what we really are focused on is using our medium as a force for good in the world. And we're able to partner with some amazing organizations around the world, literally in all corners of the globe, to do this work. We work a lot with the United Nations Environment Program. We work with NRDC. We work with National Dance Institute. I see, yeah, a whole range of organizations. And we do a whole range of different work for them. PSAs, commercials, uh, mini documentaries, longer documentaries. And this year, I know we're probably going to get into this soon anyway, but this year we pivoted to uh, offer virtual galas as an offering to our existing clients. And that pretty quickly expanded to new clients as well. Yeah. Okay. So like that's for 2020, we're like, what's a virtual gala? And now everyone has had to scramble because obviously we can't do in-person galas. So talk to me a little bit about, well, how many have you done since the beginning of this pandemic? We've done, uh, it's about seven or eight that we've done now, which is actually a lot for a sh very short period of time. Our first was with National Dance Institute back in May, and NDI is an organization near and dear to my heart. I grew up dancing with them when I was a kid in New York City public schools, and we've oh, been in a relationship since then. And once we sort of got that one under our belt and worked to share their story, we started promoting that as an offering, knowing that all these organizations, all these incredible groups that we work with and that we want to work with, have to have some way of raising money. And the gala is usually a large percentage of their fundraising each year. Yep. So if you can't do it, the question at that time was like, what is a virtual gala? Will people even watch this thing? Should it be free? Should it be ticketed? Tons of questions. Can we just take our 
in-person event and convert it to something online or do we need to change it in some way? All right, all right. Hold your horses. We're going to get into that. <laughs> we, we get into the nitty-gritty here on Nonprofit Lowdown. But so just a little bit of context. Prior to this pivot, had you done any virtual galas before no. 2020? So this no. was like a whole new thing. So you, you made a quick pivot. We did. And we just, I mean, mainly it's because we care about what we do and we saw a need mm-hmm. and, and we said, hey, like so many production companies, first of all, just stopped working and we happened to be in the middle of post-production on a few different things we were working but we just were like so what's the future look like if we're going to be working over the next several months how can we have the biggest impact and how can we really help these organizations that quickly turned into a, a very good solution okay so let's dig into this so since march you've done i think you said eight virtual galas yeah <laughs> what have you learned like what are some of the big successes that you've seen out of these eight that you've produced? Well, one thing I've learned is that they can be extremely successful financially for nonprofits that they, you know, when you're working on a virtual platform, you don't have the same overhead as you would have in a venue Mm -hmm. and coupled with that, which is really cool. And I, I guess it's sort of obvious, but you have to still call it out. You don't have the limitations of a ballroom anymore. You have an infinite number of people from all over the world can attend your event. So suddenly it's not just who's in New York or who's in LA, it's like who's in Kansas, who's in anywhere else in the world that wants to join. And so the cost of producing this is lower than the cost of obviously producing an in-person event, but there's no limit to what can be raised really. So that's been amazing to, it was at first it was a theory and then it was like, oh, this is actually happening. Mm -hmm. All of our clients that we're working with are either meeting or surpassing their fundraising goals. That's amazing. So that was something really cool. Another thing was that it's really critical to keep it moving. You know, you really can't take what was supposed to be an in-person event and just put it online. It Mm -hmm. has to be adapted for the medium. You're dealing with a situation where people are literally in their homes. So if they're bored, they can just turn it off and Mm -hmm. they will. So you have to keep things moving. You have to keep it interesting. It can't just be speech after speech after speech after speech and a lot of organizations have a situation where they're like well this person has to speak and this person has to say a few things and then that person has to say something so we try to work with organizations to adapt those elements and make them interesting and put a spin on them for one of our clients the national center for learning disabilities there were people being awarded scholarships and instead of just having somebody give a speech about them we had them introduced by a celebrity And then we did mini documentaries on each one of those scholarship winners. So they were telling their own story too. Mm, And you saw mm. where they live and what they are dealing with and what they have had to go through throughout the pandemic. And it's very different than somebody just getting up and giving a speech. Um, One thing I was wondering about, so having done a lot of the traditional galas, I know that everyone loves cocktail hour because it's an opportunity to network and schmooze and catch up with folks. How have you been able to translate that to a virtual gala scenario? Yeah. So a lot of our clients that we've worked with have had us help them with a VIP, like pre-gala reception mm-hmm. kind of thing. So that's usually done over Zoom. And what we do is we help them coordinate that, basically scripting it and producing that all the way through. And that can have live elements, which is a big selling point, I think something exclusive for an exclusive tier of donors, but it can also have pre-recorded elements as well, and you can mix those together. So we've done that, we've done interactive pieces, again, for National Center for Learning Disabilities, we had 
uh, celebrity chef George Duran, who also has a learning and attention issue, come on and lead a cooking class, lead how to cook a chocolate souffle, assisted by two young leaders in the organization who also have learning disabilities. And they got to talk about their learning challenges while also cooking this dish. And then the people at home had received a package with some of the ingredients and a souffle dish and stuff like that. So there's a lot of ways of making a dynamic and engaging like cocktail hour type thing that's separate and apart from the main gala, but gives people that sense of exclusivity and that sense of I'm involved in something special. I got to do this fun special thing or there's a celebrity meet and greet or some other element that's there for them. So, so many questions. So it sounds like the successful ones have really thought about a gala more like producing a show than producing a traditional gala, which is interesting because most nonprofit leaders don't have that experience. So I expect right. that that's where your expertise comes in. I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about the differences between you know pre-recorded versus live and what the right mix is based on your experience. Yeah, so actually all of the galas we've done so far have been pre-recorded. So we've fully pre-produced the client. What's great about it for the client is they know exactly what's going to be shown. There's no surprises. Mm -hmm. There's no in-the-moment things that would happen with a live show, but we're broadcasting it live. So everyone has to watch it at the appointed time. It's not that you can just click on and watch it on demand. You have to watch it at that time. Everyone's seeing it simultaneously. So that's a really good mix I found of like keeping it that the urgency of watching it in the moment with pre-recorded content. But then in the pre-event, in the VIP Zoom event, that's been almost all live. There have been occasions where we've shown some pre-recorded elements as well. But that's something that I think is important to be primarily live because mm -hmm. people are getting that interactive. That's what they're sort of paying for in their additional attendance at the VIP event, they're really paying for that additional live interactive piece. So I think that's important, but I don't think that the gala itself has to be live and you gain a lot of production value by being able to pre-produce as much of it as possible. And what about fundraising? So we know that when we go to galas, uh, usually a big piece of it is either like a live auction or, you know, like you're doing bids in the room. How have you been able to deal with that? So there have been organizations we've worked with that have done that kind of thing and that have had like an auction or an auction element. And there's a lot of great web tools available that provide that functionality. So that's not something that we've had to or tried to reinvent. And I think a lot of the fundraising strategies go back to how the event is positioned in the first place. So is it an event that's completely open to the public? Anyone can attend. You don't have to register. You just watch it. And then... In that kind of a case, typically the, there is more frequent asks during the show, graphics, banners, click here to give, text to give, that kind of thing. And on ticketed events, there tend to be less direct, direct hard asks during the event because people most of the money has already been raised by the sales of the tickets. So that's generally what we see. And we're not in what we've done so far. Again, there's other platforms that also like provide fundraising buttons and all kinds of things like that that can be incorporated into the page where the event lives. While we don't create those things, we do incorporate those things. And we really work with our clients from the very beginning of the process through the end to strategize, not just on how the production is going to look, but all of these things. How is it going to integrate with your fundraising strategy? Where are the best places to put a pitch? Who should deliver that pitch? 
-hmm. how direct or not direct should it be things like that because when you have people paying a lot of money for a ticket they don't want to hear a hard pitch in the middle of their gala that they paid for they want to just enjoy it at that point it's a delicate balance but it's informed by a lot of these different factors And I don't know if this is sort of the scope of what you work on, but I'm curious about how you deal with things like sponsorships or tables, because, you know, in a gala world, we know we make our money on tables, not on individual tickets. Right. When there are no tables, what do you do? Well, so a lot of organizations are selling packages. So as it's sort of comparable to a table where you get Mm -hmm. a package of 10 or 11 tickets, and then Mm -hmm. you can give those out to 10 or 11 friends and everyone can watch. That's one way. We're also working now on functionality to allow for watch parties where people are basically watching the gala with their table of people to -hmm. give them some interactivity within just their table, but they're also still watching it all together at the same time. So we're working on things like that and different integrations that can allow for that functionality because there's, of course, the social aspect of the gala and people come to the pre-gala Zoom there with their signature cocktail that you sent the recipe for and they get dressed up and people can take, you know, the moderators can take pictures of people. There's a lot of ways to generate that social engagement, even if it's as simple as a chat function beneath Mm -hmm. the player for the gala video itself. We've had a lot of success with that too, where, where people are just speaking with each other and catching up people who haven't seen each other since February who, you know, are just chatting and they see somebody's name that they know. And it's like, oh, wow, you're here too. This is so great that we're here watching this together, supporting this organization we love. Have you been able to gather enough data to determine whether or not the you raise more money with a ticketed event versus kind of like an open to the public sort of event? I don't know. We don't have that data specifically. I do know that in the different models that we've been a part of, they've all exceeded their fundraising goals or met or exceeded their fundraising goals, whether they did ticketed or non-ticketed. And even within the ticketed, there's a wide range of how people have done that. And everywhere from, you know, you buy a ticket and you receive a link and there's various varying degrees of privacy to that link. Like theoretically, sometimes that link can be shared with other people and used an indefinite amount of times. We've also done events where there's very, very strict security, where we've found solutions that you get one ticket, you can only use that link one time. It's like this message will self-destruct. It basically works like that. So it's a wide range of different ways that people have done it. And there's benefits to different ones, depending on the organization's needs. But I haven't seen that one is necessarily more lucrative than another. I think it depends on the audience and the relationship with the audience. So Ben, let's talk about length of time because I feel like all of us are zoomed out at this point. The traditional gala is somewhere like three hours. There's just no way you're gonna do a three hour virtual gala. Is there an optimal amount of time that you found for a gala production? Yeah, I mean, so we've almost all of our galas have been between 45 and like 75 minutes, mostly falling in that range. That's for the main event. And that has been a very good length. I haven't heard a lot of people dropping off in the middle, you know, as long as we what what we try to do is keep it moving. So Mm -hmm. if it's a performing arts organization, like I was talking about NDI earlier, that's easy because it's just performance after performance and yes some speaking also but just these 
children are amazing to watch. So people mm-hmm. are going to stay. If you're dealing with a non-performing arts organization, which is a lot of organizations out there, we need to find different ways to keep mixing it up and keeping it interesting. So that's, it's not just the length of time. It's what are you doing in that time that's going to keep mm-hmm. people there. And the order, you know, if you mm-hmm. have to have four different speeches, don't put them all back to back, like mix them up. Because if people see speech after speech after speech, they're gone. Something else is going to take their attention. It's going to be more interesting for them. But with the like a VIP event or an after event, things like that, that could be another 30 or 45 minutes. So I don't think it's a hard and fast length of time in total. But I think as long as you're keeping it moving and keeping it engaging and not letting a few minutes go by with nothing important happening, that's going to really be what keeps people there. So you've already started to answer this a little bit, but I'm just curious, like, what are some big lessons learned or big mistakes that you've seen in the virtual gala world? Well, one big mistake that I saw was a gala that I signed. I wanted to see it. I bought a ticket and I signed up. We weren't working on it. And they sent out a link and they said, and this was at like 9 a.m. the morning of the gala, they sent out the link. They said, this is a private link. Please don't share it with anybody. The gala is going to air at whatever it was, 6.30 p.m. Please tune in. So out of curiosity, I just wanted to see what the page looked like. I clicked on the link and I found that I could actually play and watch the entire gala at nine o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't airing at 6.30, it was just there. That's a big mistake. People think that if they just say, hey, we're watching this together at 6.30, that everyone's going to do that. But you, you actually lose a lot of momentum and urgency from not having it be really live, a real live broadcast. There's a statistic that users watch live video 10 to 20 times longer than on-demand content. So live, you know, even if it's pre-recorded, broadcasting it live is really, really important. And that's what we've done in almost every single one that we've worked on. So that's very important. And to just be straight with your audience too, that like this is airing at this time uh, and it's not just there for you to see whenever you want. So I think being straightforward with people is important. Security is really important. Making sure that you are having the right level of security for your event, depending on your audience and your organization's needs. Again, some organizations wanna cast a wide net Others want to advertise the exclusivity, but you have to be transparent about that. Uh, Many people are very savvy and they're going to know when they're being told something that's not true. So if it's Mm -hmm. private, really make it private. If it's not private, publicize it, get it out there to people. Also, I think it's important to to have specific goals. You know, if you go into any project, but especially a, a virtual gala, you know, sort of saying, well, this is my first one. I don't know, I guess we'd like to break even. Don't do that, shoot high, because there's a lot of possibility here. There's a lot of potential for fundraising and there's a lot of potential for engagement of new audience members. So set specific goals, go for those goals and that will help guide the decisions that you make along the way. And along with that, work with a trusted partner to produce this with you. It's not simple, it's a complex, set of choices to make. It really is, like you said, Rhea, like producing a show. You want to work with storytellers, but who also are going to think about the strategy of the whole event and keep in mind the ultimate goals that you've set and work with you towards those goals and let those goals guide the decision-making for everyone. And similarly, when we don't know something, we bring in a new team member to work on that. We bring in somebody who's that's their expertise. Mm -hmm. So, and things come up all the time that we need to get educated about or find a solution that you would think would be very easy to find, but it's actually 
doesn't exist or only exists in a couple of instances. Yeah, I think those are the big things. And I said the talking heads, but but I think that that's one of the big ones as well. Got it. So I think the general ethos in the nonprofit world is like, oh, we're going to try to do this as inexpensively as possible. So talk to me about where you really need to spend the money to make it look good. And what are things that you can like maybe sort of DIY? Yeah, I mean, I think what we've developed are sort of a range of solutions. And usually we use that whole range within a given production. So we obviously have professional crews that go out and shoot people. And to do that in a COVID safe way, normally we're doing it outside with a small crew managing the circumstances. That goes a long way. If certain things are well shot, like your executive director speaking, if that's well shot, or certain other particular pieces, a host well shot, those things will go a long way. And then there's going to be some pieces you need to record over Zoom or some pieces you need to record with what we call a studio in a box, which is a type of, I'm actually using one now where we use a prosumer level camera and a light and microphone to boost the quality of a self-recording, which we can guide and direct remotely, things like that. But I think you have to use those things strategically. So I think some production you definitely need to invest in for it to feel legit, for it to be up to the standard that the other really top galas are sharing. And even if you're a relatively small organization, it's important to have some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that working with a partner on this that has some experience doing virtual galas or that has some experience producing a show, producing Mm -hmm. whether it's a TV event or things like that, that's important to have that ability to write with you to turn your concept into content that's going to be spoken by people to deliver packages of content that like are you going to do like two or three mini documentary pieces throughout this where how are you going to keep it interesting and sort of unfolding as you go so you have to have somebody you're working with that has experience with this and can bring that extra quality of strategy and creativity to the project well and i imagine too the advantage is that you can repackage some of this material for like evergreen stuff on your website absolutely Yeah. Yeah. And there's several organizations we've worked with who are already doing that, who are taking their About Us film that we created for the gala and then reusing that on their website. All these individual segments can become their own, have their own life afterwards, be shared on social. You know, this is yours. Once you produce this, chop it up, use it any way you want. There's a, and there's going to be a lot of material there and orphan material too that didn't get used in the gala that maybe could get used afterwards. Right. So I'm just going to ask the question. I'm a dollars and cents kind of a girl. What's the ballpark range that folks can expect to pay to create like a really high quality virtual gala? I think it depends. Obviously, depends on a lot of factors. For every project that we work on, it's a really custom created quote because, Mm -hmm. you know, we might have a base package and then say, here are all the add ons you may want. So we've done projects everywhere from the twenty-five dollars to $30,000 range to the close to a quarter of a million dollar range. So there's a really, really big expanse in there. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on the organization's budget. I think it's important to look at the budget that you would normally spend on an in-person event and think, okay, I'm not going to spend that, obviously, but because I'm not feeding people, I'm not renting a space, I'm not doing a lot of things, but can I spend half of that? Can I spend a third of that? Can I spend 60% of that? And thinking about what your eventual return on investment is going to be, and that you want to net at least what you would have netted at an in-person event and possibly 
significantly more. And so the cost drivers in doing a virtual gala, I assume, is really like with your production team and then maybe the strategy around like how you're implementing. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for us, you know, when we're creating our packages, a lot of it is consulting. We're spending multiple hours every week just strategizing with the organization on how to best craft the whole show as an arc, but also getting into the very, very nitty gritty. How are things being worded? What's the languaging on different pieces? Where can we inject humor? Even in a serious cause that has is a very serious cause, where can we inject some humor? Where can we up the entertainment value? Because that's obviously very important. So those factors are big. And then also the production itself. Like, are we sending out crews? Where are they going? The editing, the post-production process, which is a significant process together, you know, usually three to four weeks when time allows. And then, you know, knowing when can we make something into a Zoom recording? When is it okay to use a studio in a box? When should we really try to shoot in person with the key speakers? Those are all things to think about together and, and use creatively. These are all creative tools. So we have to think, What's our best tool for this particular piece? Right. So a couple questions about time. So, you know, one of the things about galas, it's just such a tremendous time suck and there's a real Mm -hmm. soft cost. And so I'm wondering, ballpark, and I know the answer is probably it depends, but like what, how much time should folks think about devoting to the production of a virtual gala? Meaning how much lead time? Uh, well, that was my second question, but literally like how much like staff time do you anticipate? That's a great question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to answer that. I mean, I, (laughs) when we're working with clients, it seems like every time we talk to them, they're thinking about this. And every time in between that we have to ping them on something, they're thinking about this. So it's very, very important, obviously for organizations. I think on an organization side, there's, this is a little slightly off the question, but there's a lot of nerves involved, right? This is for most people, this is their first time doing this, or maybe now it'll be their second time doing it. Either they had a great experience that first time, or they really didn't do what they wanted and they want to up their game or do something different. But what I've found just the vibe, I think with with organizations that we work with is people are concerned, you know, they want to make sure they're doing it right in the sense that it produces the results they want. And that can look different for a lot of different organizations. But I don't think, especially if this is your first time, even if it's your second time, I don't think you'll be spending much less time than you would on an in-person event. You might spend more because there's a lot of things you don't know now Mm. that you're doing for the first time. Okay, so my last question before I open it up to the audience is lead time. So the reason you and I are having this conversation, you know, the first week of January is that we know that we're getting into gala season. So how much lead time do you need to produce an event? I think the real answer is the more the better. I think the best lead up time that we've found so far is three and a half to four months, somewhere in the three to four month range. That's a very strong lead up time. We really can get to know the organization. We really can strategize about what best to shoot. I mean, the, the ones that we had that sort of lead time on were in the fall this year. And we were also contending with the election in the middle and Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and a lot of different unknowns of like, were we going to know who the new president is and when? Lots of questions and lots of things to kind of work around. So I think having, you know, that three to four month range is good. It can be done in less and it has been done in less. I'm proud of the work that we've done in less time. But I think the most comfortable length of time probably for everyone is that three to four month range, which is a good reason to start talking about this now. 
Right. So I'm going to open it up because I think there are probably lots of questions, but we'll start with Morgan. Morgan, do you want to ask? Sure. Hey, thank you guys so much for hosting this conversation because it's super valuable, as you guys have mentioned. My question was really, do you offer any a la carte services or like consultant services where we may not have a budget for a full production, but could just use some advice and guiding of our own internal plan. I'm just wondering if that's something that your company offers. It is, yeah. And, you know, we find that there's certainly a need for that sometimes in organizations that need to strategize how they're going to use their budget. And so that's something that we can do. We can schedule a few calls and figure out a strategy together. But absolutely, yeah. And we do generally, even for our full gala clients, we usually start with a base package as this is what we think you're going to need. And then here are these add-ons that you can choose from as needed to because you want to do three extra shoots instead of one extra shoot or you know however it ends up turning out got it thank you thanks thanks morgan ben have you been able to track the i mean i don't know if you call them the retention rates or the view rates because again we know we're living in this world where it's so easy to just like turn off and like flip onto the netflix so just curious if you've been tracking that data Yeah, we haven't actually aggregated it all yet, but we are looking at it. I think just off the top of my head, and don't hold me to this, but I think it's been that people are watching around 70% or so at least, like the vast majority of people are watching about 70% of the way through. And you generally, when you're looking at the graph of viewership at the end, you see a bell curve, you know, it's a very Mm -hmm. clear bell curve. And that just means that people are logging in some of them are late, which is what have happened in an in-person gala too. You know, in the middle, you generally have your highest viewership. And then as you get past that halfway mark, people gradually start dropping off. And it's not like a plummet. It just, it happens like this. And I think that's very typical for a lot of things. And I wouldn't read into that. I think the most important thing is that people participate. And again, like with organizations who are doing a non-ticketed event or, or free tickets, the goal that we've worked with most of the time has been to have 100% participation. So everyone who's watching is in some way giving, whether it's a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, they are participating because they're part of that community that's watching. Got it. And there's a lot of best practice, I guess you might say about the days of the week to do a gala and not to do a gala. So here in New York city, it's like, do not even talk about Thursday or Friday, Tuesday or Wednesday and like preferably stay away from Monday. I'm wondering, does that still hold in the virtual gallery world? Cause like we could all attend in our you know, bedroom slippers. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen literally almost every day of the week and some different times of day. Sundays have worked. Mondays have really? worked. Wednesdays Sunday. have worked. I mean, really? Wow. So it's a wide range. It's, it's surprising. I don't know what all the thinking is for on the organizations. I'll, in many cases, we're not involved in choosing the date, but it's important to avoid times when people may be gathering, even if it's over Zoom, with their families, times when just other things may be conflicting, current events. Obviously, we have to be aware of things that are going on in the world, and that's ever-changing, so keeping a finger on the pulse of that. But yeah, really, it's been across the gamut, and I think if people are interested, they're going to attend. Got it. I have a question coming in from Mariah about demographics. Mariah, do you want to ask? Thanks, Rhea and Ben. It's been super informative. Thank you so much for hosting. Sure, thanks. Yeah, I have been doing big galas for the last four years for my nonprofit um, in person. And 
usually our gala raises $1.1 million and um, really thinking about transitioning to this virtual experience. And we have a super wide audience. And I think something that we've been thinking more about is like, how do we kind of translate that into a virtual experience that is informative, but also, like you said, a delicate balance of like fundraising and fun. And so how do you, like, what activities would you suggest to inspire and engage like a young audience, but also an older demographic? That's a great question. And I think if you're talking about having a large audience and potentially a large audience who would go to a VIP type of thing, but different demographics within that audience, you could split that out and have two different VIP events. Maybe one is before for an older audience and one is after like the after party for the younger audience and have different things going on in there that are specifically going to interest that age group. So if it's a musical act, somebody who's relevant to their age demographic, whether that's the older group or the younger group. If it's a speaker, thinking about those types of things, one type of event we did was a post, like an after party that was a virtual networking event where we brought people in. This was right after they watched the main gala. They were able to come into this other Zoom event and participate in breakout rooms, which were randomly assigned. And we put one staff member from the organization into each of the breakout rooms to sort of help facilitate And then it was just a networking event for all these people to meet and greet and schmooze and and get that value from the event as well. And that was after there had already been a free VIP event and the gala and some more speeches and then the breakout rooms. And that was extremely well attended, even after all those other pieces. So again, it's, I think it's about keeping it dynamic and keeping it moving and have a panel discussion, have musical performance, have a documentary piece, have different types of of material, and that's going to keep people there. And then I think if you do do these, you know, a pre-party and after party, that could appeal to those different demographics in different ways. I will also add, Mariah, one of the clients that I work with usually does a trivia contest as part of their gala. And so they were able to do that virtually using breakout rooms. It was sort of a logistical nightmare, but I think it was a lot of fun for the participants. So Ben, you we talked about things like text to pledge and so forth. Have you ever worked with a nonprofit that wanted to do a kind of traditional paddle raise situation? And if so, what did that look like? We haven't worked on that. I think that would be more in the auction space. And again, like there are online auction solutions, I believe even where you can embed video. So theoretically, if that was an important piece, you could have your main gala embedded into a site that specifically does online auctions for nonprofits and then transition from one part of the event to the auction part. But we haven't specifically had our hands on that. One thing that you said, again, I'd love for you to speak to this if you feel comfortable, is that you've had celebrity presenters. And I think a lot of nonprofits would love to be able to access celebrities to help them. And and maybe this online world makes it more possible since they don't actually have to travel. But can you tell us a little bit about your experience in getting celebrity presenters? Like, are those boards uh, connections? Like, how do you get those folks? So we've developed somewhat unique in that we have a producer on our team who specifically has a lot of these existing celebrity relationships and certain networks that they can tap into to often go. And it's one primary producer and then other folks that we work with and bring in per project based on the need. But they can actually just go to these people directly in most cases or go to their assistant instead of having to go through an agent or go through a rep. 
which often acts as a barrier because there's not usually pay involved for this. So like an agent doesn't necessarily have an interest in doing this unless it fits with their like PR strategy at the time, which is somewhat unknown. So I think one of the things that we've just had a lot of success with is bringing celebrity partnerships that are new for organizations. And that can go a long way because if you're getting press about this in advance to help sell tickets, putting those celebrity names in there is going to be a big deal. And also asking those same celebrities to, you know, can you tweet about this? Can you help us promote it? Can you be part of our social strategy? And it depends. One of the key things with getting these celebrities on board is not just making random asks, but being very specific about who do we want to target? What is their connection to this cause? Let's really think about what's in it for them. Why would they be interested in this? And that tends to go a long way. So again, you're asking somebody to do something out of the kindness of their heart, but people want to be involved. Celebrities are people too, I like to say, and they just want to be involved. They want to help. They want to use their platform to do positive things. So this is really providing an opportunity for that. And it's low. It's a relatively easy lift for them. Many celebrities already have a home recording setup. Even if they're going to record on a phone, they have like a decent background and you know a microphone or something like that so it's relatively easy for them to do and it can go a long way in boosting the the shareability of your event and what if you don't have a producer like yours or don't necessarily have board members that are connected to celebrities is there any other way to access them I mean, there are, there are, you can certainly go to their publicist. You can go to them on Twitter. You can go to them on Instagram and people, in a lot of cases, people are managing those accounts themselves, or at least have their eyes on it. So you can certainly do that. And that can be successful too, especially going through a publicist, as opposed to going through an agent. I think with this kind of thing, you're going to have more of a chance of getting to them if, if you go through the publicist. But again, it, it really, you know, when you approach those people, whether it's the publicist or the celebrity themselves, you really have to share what's in it for them and why this makes sense for them, as opposed to just making a random ask without sort of thinking about it from their point of view. Yeah. And you found that having a celebrity involved really does up the participation. It's a big deal. We have seen that time and time again, that people are like, oh, wow, that person's involved or wow, that, you know, I've always liked him. I want to see him, you know, in a, mm -hmm. in a pandemic setting and, you know, doing something for a cause that I love. So it brings it to a new group of people and especially if they're willing to tweet about it you mm -hmm. suddenly get access to their whole network mm -hmm. they are helping you to promote your cause and your message to their however many followers so that's a big big deal just by itself and that's free yeah all right so last thoughts anything that we haven't covered that you think we should know as we think about this virtual gala world that we are all now living in I think quality, you know, is a really, really important factor. People, I think, often underestimate the amount of work that needs to go into producing something of a high caliber for this type of event. Like I said before, it's not easy. It's not a simple task. It's very, very involved, at least to do it well. And mm -hmm. what I hear from clients as we're going through the process, people are always interested in what are other organizations doing. So all the time, you know, us, ourselves, clients, other people we're working with are signing up for other galas and seeing what are they doing? What can we learn? Many times we're hearing like, oh my God, I had to turn it off halfway through. I couldn't sit there. It was just so boring. You know, even for high profile organizations, they think they can do a Zoom call, but not have prepped the main celebrity who's speaking and that person's microphone isn't working or they're sitting in a right 
weird place with the light pouring in on them. Things that would have been thought about if you were working with a production company. So I think those pieces are really important. Not to say that it needs to be any particular production company or it needs to be a TV producer or anything like that, but just to have an eye on the things that you wouldn't think of yourself because it's a new venue. And that's actually a good last question. So given the fact that this is a very new space for basically everybody, how do you know whether a production company is going to be worthwhile? How do you know someone's worth their salt? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely ask to see one or two or three virtual galas that they've produced before, probably from a range of different budgets as well. So you can see kind of the scope of what's possible in different Mm -hmm. budget ranges. And I would speak to references, you know, like speak to the people they actually worked with, see what, even if something doesn't look like super sleek, like it was on TV, if it serves the purpose and it produces the results that the organization needed, that can be enough. So I think hearing from the clients of like, what did they reach their goals? What were their goals? How much did they raise? What was the engagement like? What did they hear from their supporters the same night or or later that, you know, that week? Those are all really important things to know if this is worth working with them. All right, last question. Do you have like a virtual gala checklist that you'd be willing to share? That's a good question. We could develop something like that. We don't have that exact thing. We have a virtual gala deck that sort of explains what we do. But what would, so tell me what kinds of things would go in that checklist? Who's the audience for that? That's a good question. Holly, you've asked the question. Do you want to jump in? What would a checklist look like? Okay. So what I'm thinking, you know, when you talk about a virtual gala checklist, this is a brave new world for all of us. And so I'm thinking of it from the point of the fundraiser. What kind of questions should I be asking either a production company or that I should be looking through to make sure I've crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's? You know, having done many galas in the old school way, complete with paddle raises and all of these things, like I know all of those pieces and and my lead times for everything. In this virtual world, I'm not sure of all my lead times. I'm not sure of, you know, how far in advance do I need to be working with a production company? How far in advance do I send out a virtual invitation? All of these things that I have as a checklist or part of a matrix for a traditional gala, I don't have that in this virtual world. And so I'm wondering right. if something like that exists. I think it's a great idea. And I, I think, you know, it's a lot of what we're talking about now, but I think for people who it is a completely new territory, I think having appropriate lead times and making sure that you discover more of what you don't know that you don't know is kind of what the keys to success are for this kind of project. So, you know, what we'll do is Ben, once you produce that, send it to me i'll make sure to put it in the show notes for this episode so everyone listening can access it and of course get to know the work that you do what technology are you using in order to push this out to the people oh my gosh that's a big question okay so i'm going to answer it i'll give you a broad answer and i'll give you a more specific answer so it's all about strategy right so there's not one solution that fits every gala you really need to know the lay of the land in terms of what the tools are and then pick and choose the tools and combine them and then test them to no end, figure out which one is going to be the right one for each particular case. So we've used everything from a scheduled premiere of a video on YouTube and Facebook where you upload the file in advance, but you tell those platforms when to have it go live and everyone watches. It's like a broadcast. Everyone watches together. And those are generally been for free events. And then for many of the other events, we're using Vimeo Live to stream the pre-produced file as, you know, onto Vimeo Live. And then that's being embedded 
into either the page on the organization's website or in some cases onto a third party viewing platform that's more secure. So for one of our galas, we had, you know, we really were thinking a lot about security because that was a concern for them. So making sure that only people with their own unique link could access this platform. And then once they were in there, there were different tiers of like, are you going to the VIP and the main gala? Are you going to the VIP, the main gala and the after party? And so in order to do that, we needed a platform that could have tiered ticket levels and was super private. So that was another tool we were bringing in. We're using Zoom. When we're using Zoom, we're often not just having everyone log into the same Zoom call, like presenters and audience, but we're usually having a separate Zoom call for presenters, adding our graphics and editing things and making them look more sleek and then piping that into the main Zoom call for everybody to view together. That's another piece that we've been working with. And then, you know, there's really different types of solutions, whether an organization needs closed captioning, is that live or pre-produced? It all has a direct impact on how you broadcast that file. So it's very, very involved. Um, Even the captioning you would think is something simple, but it can be fairly complex. All right. Beth has a question. I guess my question, it might be a, a much longer conversation, but just any recommendations for virtual benefit opportunities on screen for sponsors? You know, I've seen digital journal ads, different scrolls, opportunities for introductions, but maybe anything that you've done on your own that you suggest. Yeah, well, we've definitely done tribute journals in the sense that for almost all of our galas, and this is really a best practice that I would recommend for everyone, we do a 30-minute countdown. So there's actually a 30-minute countdown in the, baked into the video file that we're broadcasting, and that serves a few purposes. Number one, it tells people that this is happening and it's live and it here's exactly when the show is going to start down to the second. And number two, it gives us an opportunity to test and make sure everything's working half an hour before the show goes live. And if we need to switch into a backup or change anything, we can do that. The other thing that that does is it gives you an opportunity to broadcast some message during that countdown. So we've had clients who've had a tribute journal playing as part of the video and just on a loop for 30 minutes during that countdown. We have some cocktail music playing with that as well, kind of making it a creating the ambiance of the space as people are coming in. I think that's mainly what we've done that and the credits, but then there are opportunities to present things. There are opportunities to, you know, have a special moment in the VIP Zoom reception where somebody gets to say something or is acknowledged or even has a piece done about them. Like if you're honoring somebody specific, you could have like a mini documentary, 60 second, two minute piece done about that person to really pay tribute to them. And that's going more on the film and video and as a solution, as opposed to more graphics, which is, you know, running the tribute journal or doing credits at the end, things like that. We've even had one where the donor names scrolled while somebody was speaking and the the host kind of like acknowledged them in a funny way. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. And I think, again, injecting humor where you can, keeping it interesting and not just your standard like, and here's a list of people we have to thank. How do you make that another moment to engage people and entertain? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, Ben, the big takeaway here is that we have to think differently about virtual galas in a way that is much more geared towards entertaining, because especially since we are in this like very screen heavy world where we expect to be entertained every second of the day, yep. <laughs> that we have to think that way. All right. 
This has been so informative. I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you online if they're all about trying to work with Ben and his team? Thank you. Well, you can certainly go to our website, allofusfilms.com. My email address is ben at allofusfilms.com. So feel free to reach out at any time. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, All of Us Films on all of those platforms. And yeah, we're here. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to be a resource if nothing else. And also here, you know, I haven't gotten to hear about what each person on this call does. So if you're interested in getting in touch and following up, I'd love to just know who's here and what you do. Awesome. So I'm going to make sure to put all of your information in the show notes when this posts as a podcast. But until then, Ben, thank you so much for sharing. You know, this is a whole new world that we are all learning about. So thanks for that. Thanks for everyone on the call. Have a great weekend and we will see you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.